Fellow and External Readers, I'm Katherine Druckmann. Today I am again talking to Doc Searles, our Editor-in-Chief, and Alex Gennaris, who is with a company called Polyverse Linux. And I'm going to let him introduce himself and tell us a little bit about his company. Uh, well, thank you, Catherine. Uh, thank you, Doc. And thank you, everybody, for uh, listening. It's a real honor and pleasure to be here. Uh, I love the work that, that you all are doing. Thank you. Uh, my, uh, my name yeah. is Alex Gennaris. I'm the CEO of Polyverse Corporation. Uh, we are a cybersecurity company doing a technology called Moving Target Defense. Uh, it's a very simple idea to create unique computers for each and every computer that we protect, whether it's a device, a server in the cloud, a desktop, what have you. And by creating diversity in the environment, we're able to really change the economics uh, of attack, of cyber attacks, and make it a lot more difficult to, um, for attackers to get in and actually compromise computers. Uh, so hopefully we'll, we'll get a chance to talk more about that idea uh, later on in the conversation. As far as my background, uh, prior to doing Polyverse, I was the CTO at AOL, uh, so lived out on the East Coast, and uh, I was very honored to work with such a, uh, a famous and storied company. And prior to uh, AOL, I was at Microsoft. I had a variety of roles there, but probably most well-known for being Bill Gates's technology advisor for about three and a half years. So that's me in that's cool stuff. I, I don't know how to follow that. I, <laughs> we have this great well, podcast, though. Yeah, I, I'm, a, I'm a balding middle-aged programmer is the other. The, the, <laughs> well, you're, you're not well, alone in that. Sorry. I still write code uh, and find it a lot of fun. So I'm just, I'm kind of curious how, how you got to the point of starting, starting this company. And, and you've been around, what, is it four years? Yes, ma'am. We've been around uh, four years. Uh, the company's... Um, Genesis actually goes back uh, to the early 2000s. Um, so even though the company itself formally was, was, uh, is four years old, um, this idea of moving target defense um, has been um, uh, you know, with, with, uh, in academia as a way to address cybersecurity for about uh, 25 years now at least. And when I was at Microsoft, I was doing some work uh, on security with Bill Gates and others. Uh, this would have been around the 2003 timeframe. And I came across an academic paper called Epidemiology of Cyber Attacks. Hmm. And it basically laid out this argument that said, look, if the, if the world is a monoculture, um, you're always going to have cyber attacks because software is of sufficient complexity where you can't fix everything. Um, we actually have, uh, with Polyverse, if you go to the polyverse.io website, we, we run static code analyzers over all of Linux. There's about 1.8 billion lines of code in Linux. I mean, it's just, like, I was wow. kind of shocked to see the number, because you always think, oh, Linux is nice and tight and small, but you start thinking about all the 70,000 packages that you can install. You know, the open source community has just been amazing, and it's 1.8 billion lines of code. Well, the trouble is, in those 1.8 billion lines of code, there's over 4 million um, possible bugs that have yet to be fixed. Um, and that's just the stuff that's been found and identified by these uh, bug-finding bug tools. So if you have 4 million bugs in this system, um, you know, holy cow, that's a lot for <laughs> attack. 
go into. Mm-hmm. That's kind of what this paper was was advocating. Obviously, this is you know years ago, uh, eighteen years ago, prior to um, uh, you know uh, you know prior to Linux being one point eight billion lines of code. Um, but the same thesis still still held held back then. Right, you can't fix every bug. And so if everything is a monoculture, if everything is just a clone of itself, the economics favor attackers, right? Because you break it once, you find one attack, and you can take over a billion computers. And so this paper advocated said, look, let's be inspired by, by biology, right? As humans, we're all unique and diverse. We have different color hair, different heights, different skin color, different everything. We still act and function like humans. We respect the interface called human, human person, if you will, right? You know, the API called human being. Um, but you know, on the inside, we're all we're all unique, and that diversity and uniqueness gives us resilience against yeah. you know, Spanish flu, bubonic plague, zombie apocalypse. Choose your favorite, right? Yeah, we're, we're it's called heterogeneity. We're all different on purpose. Right. And, uh, homogeneous, you know, computers want to be homogeneous, right? They all, and especially if you're going to fix them, you're going to work on them and the rest of it, you want it all to be predictable and identical. Exactly. So 2003, we saw this idea at Microsoft and we're like, you know, ah, dang, there's our answer. Okay. Think back to 2003, you know, how do we do this? Uh, and so even though the mathematics was very solid, uh, you know, all that time ago, um, we just didn't have the technology to do it. And so that, that idea has stuck with me, that sort of mathematical concept has stuck with me for a long time. And finally, four years ago, um, Archer Score and I got together, our CTO, and we, sort of, you know, we had a lunch at a, at a Johnny Rockets down here in Seattle. We kind of looked at each other and said, you know, I, I think we can do this now. Um, and that, uh, that became the start of the company. That's cool. So, that's awesome. And it all started with a paper about epidemiology. I've, I've actually, in this podcast, in fact, I have said many, many times that we need to get epidemiologists and geeks together more often. <laughs> it, it, more, in our case, it was more in the, in, with the example of privacy and, and user data escaping. You know, we're all stalked across the internet at all times, and that data gets out there and spreads like disease, in my opinion. And, and I think so that, it, uh, that's a great model. example. Yeah. Uh, and that's another example where the mathematics of epidemiology um, are perfectly applicable. It's, it's how things go viral. In fact, you know, yeah, viral news literally. is uh, named that way for a reason. Yep, exactly. so, so you saw you could do this with Linux in particular. Did you, do you in a way, leave Microsoft to go over to Linux because it was more actionable on Linux? Or, or uh, what was, oh, what was so the we, thing? We now can do this on pretty much anything, any computing device. So we do uh, Linux. We have Windows support in alpha. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's um, like we started with Linux uh, as a as a business purely for commercial reasons. I mean, look, Linux is the big dog. Um, okay. It is the most number of com- computers. It dominates the cloud and, and server environments. Uh, and so, as a business person as well as an engineer, uh, Linux was a great place to start. So, what is your what is your open source culture like at your company? And how, can you, how big is your company? Uh, we are now over 30 people. Oh, wow. That's a, that's a nice little intimate number. Mm-hmm. Um, do you still consider yourself a startup? Do you feel very startup-y? Oh, I think we still consider ourselves a startup. Uh, we like to you know, move fast and, 
and just get things done for our customers. Um, but uh, but we are we are very very well established. We have millions of servers uh, protected. Um, we are probably the largest builder and distributor of Linux on the planet. We do a couple million builds a day uh, across all the major versions of Linux. So. Uh, in terms of scale, we're not a startup anymore. Um, we're, we're, we're pretty big. <laughs> I, fi I wonder, is, you know, coming from a background of these, coming from these tech giants like Microsoft and, and AOL back in the day, um, how, the, how the, the sort of startup culture fits in with your, the open source culture within your company? You feel like there's a kind of a dovetail there? Or? Uh, yeah, startups and open source are... Um, incredibly complementary and empowering you know just even in my company we we contribute a lot to open source and in fact we make all of our products available for free to open source developers as well we just we love the community um and it's the kind of thing where you know if i were to maybe contrast um you know big companies big tech companies versus the open source community um the open source community is a lot more about, you know, sharing and learning from each other. Nobody feels bad about, you know, oh my gosh, I had to use Nginx or oh my gosh, I had to use GCC. No. Right? Now you might have a, you know, might have a big debate about, oh, do I use Nginx or do I use G uh, Apache or do I use, you know, GCC or do I use Ruby? I mean, there's different technologies for different purposes and you can have a good, you know, technical debate about that. But, but by and large, as a community, um, you know, it's all about how do we how do we make all of us better together, right? And and just as much as you might you know take from the community, you want to give back. Uh, what you sometimes see in large organizations is a very different dynamic. Um, you see a dynamic of uh, if you know the phrase "not invented here," NIH. Yeah. Um, and you get NIH not because any of these folks are are intrinsically um, bad people or, or selfish people. You get them because that's the reward system in a typical large company. Mm -hmm. A large company, um, you are paid by how many people you manage. And the higher up in the management chain you go, the more money you get paid. Yeah. So. Way, it doesn't matter whether you're in the oil industry or the tech industry or whatever. If you pay people by how many people they manage, what's a reasonable, smart person going to do? They're going to say, I want to manage more people. Um, and the way you manage more people is to have more projects working for you. Yeah. So the idea of saying, no, it's okay that uh, to be smaller and... Um, uh, you know, is, is very um, antithetical to the way that most big companies pay. Whereas like in the open source community, or frankly, that matter for a startup, you know, the incentives are very, very different. So like for us, we run a data center fleet of 20,000 servers. Wow. Uh, as, a, as a quiz, maybe for everybody listening, how many, how many, uh, how many operations people do you think we have? For twenty thousand servers, I'm going to guess one, <laughs> just for fun. <laughs> Zero. Zero. Well, that's... The whole system is completely automated. Oh wow! Wow. 
And we use a lot of great open source technologies like Docker and, and so forth. <laughs> so, so, uh, so for managing all those people, you should be paid nothing. <laughs> right. <laughs> but oh, gosh, yeah, like we, why, why have the expense for it when we can automate? Yeah, no, that's great. Yeah. Um, so, so we, we, we don't get paid more to manage more people. We get paid more to have fewer people. Wow. Right? We're, we're more profitable the fewer people we have. So something you mentioned, you know, the sort of greater good idea. Um, we talked a little bit about the democratization of cybersecurity when we were prepared for the podcast, and and okay. I, I wondered if you if you could go into your thoughts on that a little uh, bit. I used to, yeah. This is this is something that um, is very near and dear to my heart, and it's kind of the. And we talked about the a little bit about the technology behind uh, Polyverse. But this democratization of cybersecurity really gets the spirit behind Polyverse, like the emotion of why we do what we do. And um, I don't know about, uh, uh, I, I didn't get a survey of your readers, but at least when I listen to podcasts, I'm typically in the car. Mm, uh, me too. I'm on a drive, it's a <laughs> nice- That's true for most people. So it's a, it's a great, great way to spend a, a, you know, a long car ride if you're, if you're going up to the mountains for a hike or what have you. Um, and so, um, think about the experience that you have driving that car. You can use the accelerator, um, and the brakes without being a hydraulics engineer. You can listen to your podcast on your smartphone without being an, an, elect an electrical engineer. Uh, you know, the, the, the experience of driving a car has been simplified and made reliable where, you know, basically any adult can do it. Um, and so, you know, that, that is, you know, setting aside the, the cost of a car, you know, the, you know, automobile as a concept, as an industry is a very, um, you know, open and approachable, you know, basically anybody can do it. Right. I think uh, cybersecurity. Okay, let's be real. At least with today's <laughs> technology, you have to be a a computer uh, computer scientist uh, and really understand technology to do a good job of a comprehensive cybersecurity program. And you know, we've seen plenty of examples, you know, like Equifax, where when you don't have that e expertise in house, um, it's it you, you you're going to lose. <laughs> and the attackers are going to uh, to take over, um, and so you know, in a sense, um, you could say, "Well, gosh, yeah, everybody should hire a cybersecurity expert to um, to protect their systems." Okay, well, yeah, yeah, it's a, a bit of a hurdle for for a lot. You, know, you have to hire a hydraulics expert to drive your car. No, yeah. that'd be crazy. Why don't we just make these systems intrinsically uh, secure so that anybody can compute safely? Well, you know, something I've been thinking about, it's like walk somebody through setting up encrypted email. Just, you know. <laughs> yes. There's this long, long, I mean, it's beautifully designed page, uh, the Free Software Foundation about setting up your encryption keys and setting up your email client and whatnot. And I, but this this is something that it occurs to me. And, yeah. And I, you know, I'm thinking about your 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 average person. I was just at an event, um, and I'm looking around the room and thinking, well, all of these people do business on the internet. All of them. I wonder. I wonder how they're thinking about, you know, protecting their data and protecting their information. And I'm thinking, well, what if I 
what if I needed to show all of these people how to set up encrypted email? How miserable would that be? It'd be very miserable. These are, these are things that I think about, you know, why can't these things be built in from the ground up and, and invisibly it should just work. Right. Doc has, I know a lot of thoughts about this. Well, well actually what, what I'm thinking about is part of the idea behind polyverse, I think is, is that everything, every target is different, right? Do I have that right? Yes, so, so, so how do you, how do you create that heterogeneity and, and does that not on the, customer side say well if they're all different how can i manage them or how can how is this a good thing when uniformity is the virtue that i've come to understand best right uh no it's a it's a great question and in a sense that gets to the um to the aha if you will that 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 got us started four years ago and um so let me start with the the uniformity that that you expect one of the common things that a company or organization will do is you know, standardize on, say, a set of Linux images, uh, a set of apps and packages to be installed, and so forth. And they'll have a common way to manage it. Manage it. And that's a very, very good uh, practice. Um, and with a Polyverse system, you keep doing exactly the same thing. When is the last time, though, uh, if, you're, if you're doing one of these, um, you know, basically setting up a common image and so forth, when is the last time you looked into the binary of, of uh, libc and said, in exactly this function, I want to use register EAX to hold the data, to hold the... Yeah. Uh, no, my case is never, so unfortunately <laughs> I'm not that technical, so, <laughs> but Catherine is. <laughs> I don't know. The the underlying machinery, just like you know, we're yeah. able to have this conversation uh, and interact with each other, you know, using English language, the video. Um, but I don't have to know that on your twenty-second chromosome, you have the sequence AGT versus ACT. Right. Right. <laughs> you know, you still work as a human. Um, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know about me sometimes, but uh, <laughs> I'm full of mutations, but they don't show. <laughs> so, um, so what we what we're able to do with our technology is literally change around the ones and zeros, change around function addresses, what registers are being used, um, all those sort of underlying you know DNA, if you will, mm -hmm. uh, invisible to the average user. Um, we still say, keep the same API, keep the same functionality, uh, but all the internal details have changed. And so the, um, uh, now if you're the attacker, if you think about attacks like WannaCry or the Spectre attack or the SystemD attack or the Sasser attack, these are all attacks uh, where the attacker actually cares what data is in what register they're going to take advantage of some bug and they need to look at that bug that crash and then look at the memory around it and they need to know how to decode what's in the memory and if all that stuff is jumbled around and different very very hard to decode it and that's sort of the aha insight behind uh you know behind our technology and and the attacker i, I, I sort of see attacks two different ways and i say this as somebody who's not expert in this in the least but um but it, but it's my casual understanding that that you're you're either trying to um, 
look for something, a, a, a common vulnerability in many machines, which I, I, I understand is what you're, you're busy uh, uh, erasing, basically. And the other is that I look for many machines to do like a DDoS attack. Right. right? I, can, I can marshal every um, alarm system or, or you know, s s something that ship as a, you know, in everybody's house with a Chinese uh, passport, I mean, a password that goes one, two, three, four, five, or whatever, or the password is password. Right. Um, and <laughs> some of these have, have <laughs> these, these exist. Oh, um, that was the Mariah attack uh, about a year ago. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. That was a, probably the, the biggest ever. Um, but I'm thinking because I, I had, you know, I've had a, an association for a number of years with, with Harvard University and, um, and one of their top security people says, well, we are under attack all the time, 24-7, 365. They're, yep. they're a big target. They're under attack all the time. But most of their attacks are DDoS attacks, right? They're, whereas I think the kind of attacks that you're looking at are you're running an ordinary business that has a lot of servers and, 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 and these things need protecting because our business runs on them. Is that, is that correct? It's more, more of that kind? Uh, Yes, sir. Yeah. So, but it, it extends into the DDoS area. So mm -hmm. what, what we do fundamentally is try to, to stop the remote takeover of a computer. Hand it in. When you look at, at DDoS in particular, uh, let, me, let me divide it into maybe three parts uh, for a d distributed denial of service attack. Okay. First part is you have to take over your bots. Mm. So if you can stop the takeover in the first place, then you can start mitigating against uh, DDoS because they just won't have as many bots to take over. Mm -hmm. That's sort of you know layer one. Uh, sort of layer two is is the actual um, you know DDoS attack itself. Um, and if you sort of think of that, you can say, well, what are the incentives that that somebody has to take over a machine, right? One is you might directly control the machine and steal data off of it, like you're stealing credit card numbers or financial or, or healthcare information, that kind of thing. Or you might compromise the machine and turn around and sell it on the black market for a DDoS attack. And then you want to do a DDoS attack to you know, basically cause trouble. Um, you know, there's, uh, the, most of the time a DDoS is just meant to, to essentially harass uh, the target. But the more sophisticated attackers are actually using DDoS in two ways. Um, one is a diversion for the real attack. Because mm, mm. if you go, DDoSes are, just the DDoS itself, there's not much you can do with it except just try to overload somebody. Uh, and these days, if you're running your system on like Amazon or whatnot, it's pretty hard, uh, actually. Yeah. yeah. You know, the, the Amazon and Microsoft and Google have just such capacity in their cloud. Uh, you've got to do, you've got to work at it to do a, a yeah. DDoS. Uh, but if you're doing a DDoS, man, that, that's like, uh, uh, you know, if you want to rob somebody's house, you're going to have a whole bunch of bad guys show up at the front door and make a lot of noise. Like, yeah. And then all the cops and everybody goes to the front door. And then the real attack go around to the back side of the house and sneak in. Everybody's at the front door getting all panicked about that. Um, and so, you know, we've seen DDoS being used as essentially diversionary technique for mm -hmm. real takeover. 
That's interesting. Um, and then I can get a little more esoteric. Sometimes if you, you're just DDoSing, not to DDoS, you're DDoSing to try to discover uh, vulnerabilities. You simply just flood, uh, flood your, your attacker with a bunch of noise, see what crashes. And then once it crashes, you can then launch your memory attack. So, so yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah, no, 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 go ahead. Well, I was just saying, so you, you, you have this service for Linux operating systems, but you also do it for like PHP scripts and that sort of thing. Is that correct? Uh, yes, ma'am. Yes, ma'am. Yeah. We, we have a, a suite of, of products. Like, so we cover sort of the Linux and the, you know, the Linux stack, if you will. So, you know, kernel, libc, Java, and so forth. Um, we have this for Windows, and we also now have technologies like PHP, uh, PHP polyscripting for the script engines, and that's sort of at the, the highest level of attack. Uh, and this is meant to stop the script injection um, type attacks. Okay. Sorry, I'll back to All in the same spirit of creating diversity, it's sure. the different technologies at different pieces, whether it's Windows or scripting languages or the, you know, the binary code of Linux required a, a slightly different technical approach to, to, to solve it. So, so you've been on this case for a number of years now, and I'm, I'm wondering what you're learning. Like, I mean, what, you know, not just how you've adjusted your business, but as you're looking at the, at the, the world of attack and defend, what, what's showing up for you that's changed over time or that the rest of us should be concerned about going forward, sort of, you know, I mean, it's, it must be a constant learning process because the attackers especially have to be getting more clever, coming from more places, doing new things. So I'm just wondering what, what, what kind of learnings you could share with us about that. Sure. Um, I would say in the last, uh, last four years, I mean, obviously, look, we're, we're learning every day. I think that's a very astute <laughs> observation. Um, but probably the two um, biggest uh, learnings and, and sort of changes in the market that I've seen in the last four years. Um, one is the rise of um, hardware-assisted attacks. This is the specter and meltdown issues with um, uh, with Intel. And Intel, if you sort of think back historically, you know Microsoft had its its arguably its wake-up call on security when it released um, Windows XP Service Pack Two. Sure. That was sort of, and um, if you know the, the history back then, just to recap, and this was all in the press, there's nothing secret. Uh, you know, uh, one of the Windows executives, a gentleman named Brian Valentine, told everybody, stop what you're doing, we're just going to fix security issues and release a bunch of uh, fixes. And that was the Service Pack 2 uh, release. And that was kind of when, you know, Microsoft had always thought about security, but like, but that was sort of a transformational thing in the company where it just took it a lot more seriously. Um, you know, they're by no means done, but, you know, they made a significant step forward. And I kind of think of Spectre uh, in the same way that, um, you know, Intel is where Microsoft was at circa 2004. Yeah. Where, where um, you know, up until now, um, until kind of nobody worried about it, right? Because the software was so easy to attack, you didn't have to use a hardware assist. Mm -hmm. uh, and now to your point about attackers becoming more, more clever, um, the hardware assist uh, attacks are, 
are becoming, you know, more of a thing now. And so until really, you know, I, I hope internally they, they have that wake up call and they're going, uh oh, uh, I guess I probably shouldn't cuss on the podcast, but oh, that's fine. <laughs> we do it all the time. <laughs> What's that? <laughs> I'm from New Jersey. I have F bombs in there, all of it. So it's like, <laughs> oh, bleep, 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 bleep. You know, yeah. we, we, they're taking, you know we, we have an issue here. Uh, so that was sort of one big learning. Um, the second one is I've gotten a lot more involved in uh, cyber liability legislation efforts and sort of the regulatory side of this with um, Congress and, and other agencies. Um, there's, a, there's a very hard problem with. Uh, I'll just say the policy aspect of cybersecurity. Hmm. Um, let me use a, um, uh, a, a weapons example, physical military weapons. Um, I hope nobody on the on this listening to this podcast is in um, any real fear on a day to day basis of having a tank drive down the street and smash into their house. Mm. Possibly, right? yeah. but, uh, possibly, possibly, but, but I, but I, but I seriously hope not. And for, not you yeah. know, if you're, if, if you're in the you know, United States, Canada, Europe, you, you pretty much don't have tanks driving around smashing people's houses um, because a tank is a military weapon. There's a lot of treaties and, you know, there most countries govern like who can buy a tank. You just can't go with the, Ford dealership and buy a tank. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, and so, you know, for sort of your, your big military weapons, because it's a, it's a heavy physical thing, you can have a realistic sense of, let's put in some, some laws and regulations and policies and, and, and have, you know, a sense of arms control and a way to, a way to deal with this. But in the cyberspace, we have this, this problem. You know, and one of the things I hear is from some, some, you know, CISOs that I talk to, chief information security officers, is like, oh, well, we're a smaller company. We don't have to worry about nation states. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's the Everyone has to Pentagon worry about, about, about nation states. But the problem is a cyber weapon is like a tank that you can buy at Costco. Um, because it, it, it's just... Um, uh, you know, once they're out there, it doesn't matter if it needed the world's best computer hackers to go create it. That cyber weapon can be copied and used by anybody, you know, even a 15-year-old kid. So it's, it's these, uh, you know, these sort of nation-state level uh, attacks where there's the various bad actor countries in the world are, are funding it to a tremendous degree. As that stuff gets out there in the wild, it's causing a lot of problems. It's it's giving every, you know, gang member, if you will, a tank and and missiles and all this kind of stuff. You're getting nation state level weaponry to fifteen year olds. So how so how do we address that? I mean, are we meaning I don't know. I mean, I don't even know which we were talking about. The technology community, the um... Well, I think fundamentally, uh um, uh, there's, there's two things to address it. Um, one is if you look at uh, the state of cybersecurity today, there's a movement called Agile Security, um, sort of in a, in a broad name. But there are a lot of great technologies out there that sort of really fundamentally try to address, that try to address these sort of fundamental problems. 
models. You know, obviously, you know, I'll, I'll make the biased pitch for Polyverse, but if you, you know, if you step outside Polyverse, uh, there's a lot of good code tools like SEML and, and, and Microfocus Fortify that can analyze and automatically find bugs. You have multi-factor authentication technologies. You have a lot of innovation happening with blockchain and other encryption technologies. So there's a lot of really, really good stuff out there uh, where people are trying to fundamentally solve the, the cybersecurity problem. Uh, and then if there was a concept of cyber liability, uh, you know, this idea of holding manufacturers accountable for using the best technology, cyber technology available, uh, I think we'd see a, a radical difference uh, in sort of the state of the world with respect to cyber, cyber security. I think it improved greatly. In what way do you do you do you see that happening? When you when you start talking about regulation and and uh, liability and and that sort of thing, I think you know I cheer you on when I think about things like Equifax and 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 the big ones and you know companies like Facebook losing people's passwords and so like that. I feel like there maybe should be consequences. But on the other side of the coin, I think about small organizations like us and thinking, oh gosh, you know. A lot of you know a lot of regulation I think could could shut us down you know I there are certain things that like I don't even know how we, we would comply with you know I, I, my imagination runs wild and you know when I think about um, I yeah. don't know over legislation I guess is, is what I oh thinking. oh absolutely that that is that is a huge concern and one of the reasons that um, uh, that I'm getting involved in it um, just because it, there, there needs to be a, a balancing act. Um, so um, let, me, let me try to be fairly apolitical since I'm sure there's, <laughs> Perfect. I'm sure there's a lot of uh, you know, opinions on the spectrum. Um, but if you, if you sort of take a step back, uh, most of the political debate that, that we would have uh, on this topic isn't going to be about the fundamentals. It's going to be about where do we draw the line between you know, exactly where do we draw that regulation line? Is it more regulation or a little less regulation? But I think most people on the call would agree that you know, governments and laws have a, have a role to play. You know, we can all safely have this call uh, and we're not, you know, I said as, as a general rule of thumb, we're not worried about bad guys coming and shooting us with a tank right now. Because I'm not. <laughs> because, we, yeah, because we had this thing called a government that, you yeah. know, uh, to a greater or lesser degree, keeps us safe versus, you know, all-out uh, anarchy, right? You know, we're able to go, you know, buy something at the store because there is a, a, a government concept called money that, mm -hmm. that collectively as a civilization have agreed, okay, we're going to have this thing called money and we can use it as a, as a medium of exchange. So... You know, there are, there's sort of intrinsic um, uh, goodness to a, having a level of government involvement here. Um, and so the challenge is, um, and, and maybe the analogy I would give is take like the automotive industry. Um, you know, right now there are product liability laws. So just to keep with the, you know, since we've been using automobiles as, a, as an analogy uh, so far, yeah. you know, not only do you not have to be an electrical engineer to go drive the car, 
Um, you can actually go pretty much buy any car out there and it's going to work. Yeah. <laughs> you're not really worried about this thing blowing up on you. And, and you're going to know how to drive it. It's like, and you're going to know how to drive it. And, and, and importantly, if a manufacturer screws up, uh, which happens from time to time, there are, there are, you know, it's an engineer, it's an engineered system. There are bugs in cars, but the, 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 the manufacturer has to go issue the recall and, and fix it. Like the, you know, if Ford were to, to build a car that blew up, they'd probably go out of business. Yeah, they have had some of those. But <laughs> yeah, but <laughs> now you take Equifax, you know, yeah. uh, since you picked on Equifax, uh, Catherine, uh, if you go read the government report on, on what, what all happened there, um, you should be horrified. I mean, the level of... of uh, we just want to read this thing. And go seriously? They they <laughs> they were not they were not minding the shop. I mean, there's just right. no two ways about it. They were not minding the shop. Yet, where's the accountability? Right? Where's the product recall? Where's the lawsuit? Where's the? Sure. Now, it's we're probably outside of scope uh, on on this call to get into all of the sort of legal issues, but um, fundamentally, with the computers. Um, and cyber, uh, while people have tried to bring lawsuits for, for cyber issues, they tend to be very, very difficult to do uh, because of issues like Article 3 standing. And so without getting into the, the nitty gritty, the short version is when it's sort of squishy, you know, it's sort of intangible, yeah, you stole my data. That's hard for our current legal system to deal with because our current legal system is is built around the idea of Oh, you stole my car. Um, okay, a yeah. car is a physical thing, I, and 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 a certain person stole it. It's not, it's not more ephemeral. Uh, so we'll need to have an update to our sort of our legal and regulatory mechanism to really really handle cyber better from a liability perspective. So there there, there are a couple of interesting um, uh, factors there. One is that. Um, you know, the entire legal system was was developed in a natural world where we all have you know uh, the periodic table and uh, flesh and bones, and it's all a very familiar thing. And we've had that for as long as we've been civilized. But in the digital world, um, you know, I, we were talking about this yesterday at a conference I'm at. I mean, none of the if you look at the internet, actually, none of the prepositions apply. I mean, we'll say we're on the internet as if it's a place, but it's not. <laughs> you know, they're, they're over, under, around, through, beside, within. Uh, none of these are there. I mean, there's no, as my wife puts it, and she's here with me too, there's no gravity either. We're all kind of floating around. But on top of that, the the, the other problem is this, it's changing all the time. And, and you can't, you know, if you look at, I mean, if you consider the fact that um, probably the giant data centers of Google and Microsoft and um you know, Amazon are as important to civilization as large um, power plants or, or, or a FedEx or a, a, a UPS distribution center at an airport, right, which, which the shipping system depends on. There are, there are guys in white coats that are paid by the government to go in to inspect those places and lots of checkboxes and lots of ways, lots of forms of expertise about that, that if we had them in the, in the digital world would be obsolete in about six months, right? And and it's changing constantly, right? So all of the expertise resides inside a relatively, inside companies, not necessarily 
inside the government. And related to that is also um, what a former FCC chairman told me once when we were talking about net, net neutrality, the whole net concept of network neutrality. He said, well, I've spoken to every member of Congress, and I can tell you there are two things none of them understand. One is economics, and the other is technology. <laughs> Good luck. Right. So, so, so what I'm wondering is what in, in, in creating model re regulation or model legislation, um, what, what, would you, what, what do you put forward and how do you put it forward and to what kind of regulators or legislators do you do that with? Or would right. you like to or like somebody else to do? Um, so you know, it's, it's, a, it's a great question and, and um, we actually are working on a, um, a position paper on this very topic uh, in terms of you know, laying out more of the details um, of, of how we think you know, to achieve that balance. But I can, I can speak uh, thematically now, now about it. And um, the, the type of sort of legislation or whatnot that I think is um, guaranteed to fail or cause problems and create a lot of inefficiencies and just destroy innovation um, is the type of regulation where it's um, very specific and government mandated. Mm -hmm. If there was a government cyber approval agency, oh my goodness, that would crush us all. Yeah, uh, yeah. And actually not work yeah. <laughs> from a technological perspective. Um, the type of, of um, legislation that that I think would would really uh, be very impactful is one that just focused on the economic incentives. Mm. If we can craft legislation that said, you will make more money as a company by being secure. Mm. Let me stop it at that. You will make more money by being secure. Then those companies, A, will make that investment. And B, they'll require from their vendors in turn, you know, hey, sell me stuff that helps me be more secure because I'm going to make more money. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't have to be very complicated legislation. Uh, for those folks that are in, you know, America, um, think of the profound impact that one, uh, one tiny paragraph in our tax code of umpteen billion pages. Uh, has had on America, mm -hmm. the mortgage interest deduction. Wow. No, I mean, think about it. Like, like it's just never gone, right? I'll, I'll, I'll skip the, about, you know, you know, our suburbs a good thing or not, but that one clause basically gave rise to suburbia America. And with suburbia America, you have shopping malls, you have the rise of the automobile, and you've got need for all the different mass transit, you know, questions, you've got traffic and congestion, I mean, kind of almost every facet of American life has been driven by this one crazy paragraph in the tax code. Yeah. So, so uh, I, there was an example given by this uh, lawyer who was at this conference we were at. Uh, he called these things, um, like you just mentioned, uh, Occam's regulation, you know, that there's, there's one kind of uh, thing that can split a hair and he gave the example of um, uh, a single dictate from in the middle 70s when AT&T was still the only phone company basically 
in the U.S., there was a single requirement that, uh, that came down, which is you shall allow connectivity. Anything can connect to you. And what followed was the Internet. I mean, it started with RJ11 and RJ45 jacks and four-wire and six-wire, whatever, you know, the connections we can make and Ethernet over those things and then modems and, um, you know, and the Internet happened, right? And it was because of this one thing that we allow a connection to happen. Um, he also said everything goes comes down to it, you shall or you shall not. And that's an interesting one. You say if, if you, you were commanded to make money by doing this. That, yeah. Well, the, uh, way, the way you'd make money here is by saying, uh, is actually by the inverse, imposing a fine, a penalty. Yeah, yeah. If you should have done a better job, you know, according to a reasonable, you know, some standard of reasonably available, uh, you know, best available technology, um, and you didn't, and you harmed somebody, you know, like Equifax, and you know, lost everybody's data, uh, or what have you, then, yeah, you will be fined for that. You will be penalized, you know, just like you would if you built a car that blew up. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, you know, with that kind of, because that, that sort of uh, penalty function does not exist today. You can be sloppy, as we see with Equifax, and nothing. Well, I think in, in most industries, you at least have some sort of, there's the consumer demand thing, you know, with somebody like, take Facebook again, for example, there is at least consumer backlash when they screw up so badly, you know, I don't know if it's meaningful enough, but, but with something like Equifax, I mean, it's so hard, it's so hard to, to think about anything else, honestly, in, in these terms, because they're, they're, I mean, what can, we're, I feel like consumers are certainly powerless to do anything about somebody like mm -hmm. Equifax. Okay. Yeah. Whereas no, you know, in, in most industries, so, so that where I'm getting at is in, you know, when, in, when it comes to regulation and stuff, I have a lot of, you know, opinions about sort of the wild west dem democratic nature of the internet that I actually enjoy. Think about, you know, uh, individuals running their one-off WordPress installations and, and ha you know, putting together a hacky little website that they run. And I have a little bit of fear, I guess, about regulating that out of existence. Um, but at the same time, when you look at something like Equifax, like where, where is the, I don't know, it's like the, it's its own model where you really can't address it in, in any other, in any other terms because it's, it, it, I don't know. It is unique in the it is unique in the business world, and that it, it's something that has so much power over individual lives, and yet individuals have no power over it. Yeah, because no, no, no. Most of us are not customers of Equifax. Exactly. Right. Um, so that 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 creates a uh, you know, and, and that's that's one of the issues that. Um, uh, you know that um, you know that that you have uh, in trying to you know if we wanted to say sue Equifax, we don't have standing. We're not a customer. We have no contractual relationship with Equifax. So that they cause us harm in a unspecified, un you know very difficult to calculate way, right? Because did we get harm from Equifax? I think it's easy to say yes in right. the absolute sense. But, but now, if you're going to go into Exactly. You go into a court of law and say, I was harmed on exactly this day for this much money by this actor. 
what yeah. do we say? Incredibly yeah. difficult. Yeah, and, and, and most we're 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 second order or third third or fourth order effects out of that, you know. Right. And um, uh, so so I'm wondering if if we we know the um, some of the motivations of bad acting, you know, the, the, one of them is just purely malicious um, or for sport or, or, or in the case of state actors, it's to screw with another country one way or another. Um, I'd like to look just at the, at the economic ones right now for, for, for well, the time we have left, which isn't too much. Um, what are the, is it, is it mostly or entirely any one or another thing I'm thinking you know, stealing trade secrets, uh, blackmail and extortion, um, uh, you know, uh, digital assets of one kind or another, you know, I, I can imagine it would do, you know, or, you know, th threats of harm, you know, or anything just like, even like the phishing attacks we see, we have your password, give us a bunch of money. Or the ones where you, where you, you there's a hostage ones too, where we're holding your server hostage until you give us a million dollars or whatever. Is there a, does that cover it? I'm sure that doesn't begin to cover it, but I'm wondering if, if you're on the lookout for particular ones lately or if there's a if it's not possible to generalize at all. Uh, a bit of, bit of both. Um, there is a generalization that I think um, applies. And um, so let me give three broad categories, but then within there, there's sort of always, um, look, look, you know, as much as we've had uh, criminals um, basically since the dawn of time, mm -hmm. uh, and the criminals have evolved their their techniques and practices, yeah, we're we're still always going to have have criminals. But if I were to take cyber actors as a as a whole, um, let me maybe do three um, groupings of motivations, and you find that there are. Um, both individuals, nation states, and, and sort of organized criminal entities that, that follow all three of these motivations. They sort of have a three-by-three three matrix, right? You have individuals, mm -hmm. sort of organized criminal groups, and then nation states as your three big groups. Uh -huh. uh, and then you have three big motivations. Uh, motivation one is purely uh, fame. Mm -hmm. um, uh, if you look at... Um, a lot of the a uh, number of the attacks out there where um, you know they're just showing off that they can do something, mm. right? But the like a like a um, for example, the um, Syrian army took over an army website, army recruitment website. Did that really cause any harm to the army? No. Mm. Yeah. Over, yeah. Over WordPress site. Um, like no national yeah. secret was stolen. It just was marketing, a marketing website. But boy, did it give them some bragging rights. Like, wow, yeah. over the army. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, and then you get the same thing with basically, I'll, I'll, I'll uh, use a phrase, the 15-year-old kid. Obviously, it's more than just 15-year-olds, but somebody that's trying to get in and, and needs to show their, show their talents. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's sort of the, the folks who are just doing it for the, for the notoriety um, and not necessarily much follow-on. Follow uh, the largest category is um, people are doing this to make money. Yeah. Let's be clear, cyber is a business. Mm -hmm. um, and there are nation states that are running it as a business. 
Mm. And these are the ones that worry me a lot because when you're running, if you're running a cyber cyber operation as a business, and it doesn't matter whether you're a nation state or or a mafia or what have you, um, you have a you have um, an incentive to be um, a successful and b go undetected. Mm. Right? If you think about it, since we picked on Equifax, let's let's keep picking on. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Let's, let's, yeah. But everybody, yeah, people know. Well, about everybody it, loves so. to do it. So if you have some Equifax listeners, you might be you might be losing some. Uh, um, but let's talk about the attacker on the Equifax side, right? Um, they got greedy. Mm. If they they were in the system for quite a while. Yeah. If they'd stayed low and slow, and and just you know, stayed under the radar, they might not have ever been detected. It's a scary, a scary thought, scary isn't it? Thought. Yeah. It's very scary thoughts. Like how many of these attacks do we do we not even know about because the people that are playing the game on the bad guy side are good and and their economic incentive is don't be attacked. Right? I'm sorry, don't don't be don't detected. Be detected. Don't be detected, yeah. My apologies, I misspoke. Uh, don't be detected, because you get detected, it costs you money. Right, because yeah. now you gotta now you gotta shut that down and go, you know, recruit a new set of computers, take over a new set of computers. Why do that? You don't want to do that. Yeah, you, you hear that, hackers? <laughs> Low and slow. Don't get caught. <laughs> uh, I'm not. I mean, <laughs> how many are yeah. very common? It also suggests how many are being caught right now because they are low and slow inside of God yeah, knows I what. Yeah, that, that's the real question, isn't it? Yeah. Um, and so those are the ones that that really worry me because just how much of that is going on that that we just haven't found um, today. Um, yeah, and then somebody's running a survey saying, hey, hackers, uh, how many of you are keeping the lowest <laughs> level? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Maybe we should. <laughs> Maybe we should. Um, and then, then, of course, the, the third sort of motivation is um, the folks that, are, that um, want to do harm uh, mm -hmm. in some way, you know, manipulate elections. I mean, there's a lot of press on that. I'll skip the politics of it. <laughs> right. Mm -hmm. Look, it, it, regardless of where you stand on the political spectrum on it, it happened, right? Right. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, you can manipulate elections. If you saw what Russia did uh, in the Ukraine, I'm going to oversimplify a little bit, but um, with the uh, uh, Russian invasion of Ukraine, well, alleged. Yeah, right. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> uh, with the invasion with Russian troops that took off their their uh, insignia, um, the uh, it was the arguably the first sort of documented instance of a combined cyber military operation. The very first step they the Russians did was launch a cyber attack on the Ukrainian power plants, mm. take them out of commission. Then the tanks come in. Yeah, that was like the front door of the house, back door of the house you were talking about earlier. Exactly, yeah. exactly. Yeah. A diversionary, a diversionary. Well, diversionary, but also you take out the, the power infrastructure. Yeah. Well, now right. your radars aren't working. Now your telephones aren't working. Now your cell phones aren't working. I mean, think yeah. of how much I'm, stuff just stops if the electricity stops. I mean, our whole civilization stops when the, when the electricity stops. Isn't this the plot of Return of the Jedi? <laughs> I'm pretty sure that's how it starts. Right? Uh, yeah, it pretty much is. Defense systems, oh. and then yeah. 
Yeah. No, but 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 it's now it is now an established part of the cyber operations are now an established public part of the military doctrine for United States, Russia, and China, at least. Um, and so that's sort of your third category where, where cyber is uh, being done for you know, political military reasons, right? You know, they're not necessarily trying to make money at it. They're trying to invade a country. They're trying to manipulate, you know, elections. It's a, it's a political driven agenda, not a, you know, not a let me steal your credit card agenda. Right. Okay. Well, that's, <laughs> that's scary. So, so since we're coming up on, you know, probably the end of our time, talking about privacy and security, like we do a lot, can be kind of depressing and a little bit scary. <laughs> but we like to sort of end on a hopeful note, usually. Um, whether that being, you know, solving the how to how to hold Equifax accountable without uh, without punishing the rest of us, um, or or something else. But you know, I mean, you've been a part of technology for quite a long time, and and tech moves at an astonishingly fast pace, right? Yes, ma'am. Um, what do you see anything on the horizon that that can give us all a little inspiration and hope? And what are you hopeful about right now? Uh, well, I mean, since we're talking about cyber, I'm actually very hopeful. Um, and optimistic in the in the cybersecurity world um, because the the sort of I think there's a growing consensus now that um, basically three things one there's a consensus that the legacy uh, cyber technologies of the past the, the the firewalls and antivirus aren't aren't working and there's a new class of technologies like moving target defense that are working so I think there's now a growing movement and we see this today in our own, our own business of uh, let's there, the technologies exist now to sort of fundamentally address uh, cybersecurity at that sort of intrinsic resiliency level, right? Where the stuff just works and you don't have to be a cyber expert to, to deploy it. So from a technological perspective, I think we as the, you know, as an industry are actually making a dent. We can really, um, you know, if not 100% solve it, we can, you know, get it from the, the sort of the, you know, trauma level that it is today into something a lot more manageable. And then at the same time, the, um, I think you made, a, you made an interesting comment about, or, you know, about the nature of, of politics uh, earlier, earlier on the pod, podcast. Um, again, regardless of your political leanings, the whole uh, issue with Russian, Russian interference in the election and hacking the DNC email servers and so forth, um, the goodness that's coming out of that is that the sort of very uh, sort of technological and maybe you know very difficult topic from both a legal the legal esoteric and the techno and the esoterics of the technology is now sort of front and center for Congress, right? Yes. It, it is now on the political agenda for the country. Yeah. And, um, you know, if you if you want to get uh, you know, solutions, then, you know, first step is it has to be on the agenda. Yeah. yeah. So, so cybersecurity is now on the agenda. So I think the, um, and thankfully, you know, particularly with the new Congress that came in, you know, I'm, we're very fortunate to be working with a number of members of Congress and, you know, for all the, um, you know, it's easy to pick on Congress for all kinds of reasons. Uh, 
but but I can say very genuinely that that there are a number of individuals, um, uh, you know, elected individuals and staff members in Congress, and for that matter, in our military and so forth, who really care about this problem, who are really smart, and who are genuinely seeking out, you know, the best ideas on how to solve it. So we're on the agenda, and there's motivation to fix it. So, and we have the technology to fix it. So. Well, that's great. That's I'm, I'm great. We're, not, we're not done yet, but, but we have all the ingredients to, 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 to do it. The first so, step is really smart people starting the conversation, right? So. Exactly. And, and we have the tools to do something about it. Um, we, can, we can talk about, you know, interstellar warp drives a lot, but uh, <laughs> we're kind of stuck on that one, at least right now. Um, this, this one we can solve. Cool. This is great. Thank yeah. you. Yeah, thank you so much. This is this has been really great. Um, and on that note, I will. Thank you both very much, everybody listening. Thank you very much. It was a real pleasure to be here. Cool. Likewise. Cue the music. <laughs> <laughs>